Thank you, Jack. Well, I don't know how these guys are doing. I'm tired. Uh, in the good way. So let me give you a couple of updates before we, uh, before we talk about what we're going to talk about. I'm going to talk about what happened last night, but Imlay Elementary School. So when we did worship last night down at the waterfront, 30 or more churches represented from around the city, it was an event that was put on to celebrate work that has been done over the summer in beautifying and cleaning up the city. Um, and so there's a huge testimony the church has been giving to the city because the city came to the church and said, we're looking at the trash problem that exists downtown as a result of trying to navigate the homeless and houseless issues. Um, and so the city came to the churches and said, would you guys be able to clean up the city for us? Because you have the biggest volunteer base in our city and you have a heart to serve. And so Kevin Palau and Together PDX said, yes, let's do this. And so churches all across the city were in downtown Portland helping clean up the mess that was there and beautifying the city. And so at the end, they decided, let's get together and celebrate what was done. So Emily Elementary School, Hillsborough School District contacted us and said, hey, would your school be willing to come and serve? Uh, would your church be willing to come and serve this school and our community? Would you come? You've done it before. Would you clean up? Um, but this time, we don't just want you cleaning up. We want people to come on the day students arrive and hold up signs and welcome the kids back to school. So it's a great start to the year. So uh, you have been praying for a church. You've been talking about and discussing as a church. How do we step into the community? How do we love and serve the people around about us? So this is a fantastic opportunity. So this is going to be an experience where, where we're going to go and we're going to do work on the campus. Here's what I want to ask. If you are immobile, and you can't come and, and rake and hoe and whatever, just come. Come and be with us, sit on the side and cheerlead the people that are working. We need supervisors that can boss us around. So if you know how to sit and point a finger, point a finger. Um, and then on the day when we're welcoming the kids back to school, like come and be there with a smiley face, hold up a sign, wave at the kids. And let's, I, I would love to see our whole community turn up at elementary and say, this is what our church is about and this is who we're going to be. Um, so if you are able to be there, if you can't, that's okay. Change your vacation, change your plans, cancel your wedding. Uh, if you're able to be there, just uh, write on the, the connection card that you're in. Sue's going to send out an email that will have a link online to register. But let's see if we can go and really bless the school in response to their invitation. Okay, so back to last night. We're celebrating the work that God has done in the city, and it was stunning. There are a few of us there, Jack, Josh, Emily, Jenna and Angie were there, GD was there, Lupe came. It was just a, a fantastic evening of worship. So for those of you who were like, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't, it was scheduled to start at four o'clock. It started at like an hour and 40 minutes later because there was a sound problem. And so it started a little bit late, so everyone was enforced to fast, right? It was going through dinner, and, and worship was incredible. But, but this was a really powerful time. There was a, a band on the stage. You had a bunch of worship leaders from different churches around the city sharing the platform, each person leading one song with this amazing band behind them with the, the water behind as the stage was sitting there. And these people from all of the different churches gathering, and you couldn't help but look around and see, I mean, there's 
black person here, there's Latino people here, there's First Nations people here, there's Asian people over there, there's white people there. It was just a mix of all of these churches from across the city. Um, this guy, JT, um, came up to speak and gave this really powerful message. I'm going to probably send out some things that he's shared so that you can get in on the fun. Uh, just a powerful man of God um, and probably one of the most righteous people that I've ever sat in the presence of. This guy is, is, is very powerful. But there's this moment at the end that, that really blessed me. Um, and uh, a Hispanic pastor, Victor, came up on the stage to pray. And as he was praying, he's like, I just want to do this. If you're here and you're a pastor or you're a, a spiritual leader over a ministry in our city, I want you to just come down to the front. And so all of us, like there, there are so many pastors in you from all over the city, come all down to the front. We all stood at the front. He's like, I want you to turn. I want you to face everyone. And I want you to link arms. And so we're all standing there. I've got John Rosenstiel. No, I've got Lisa on this side. I've got John Rosenstiel on this side. Renee's there. Kevin's just down there. I'm watching all these people that I adore. And we stood there, just linked arms. And he's like, this is a symbol of what the church is in the city. These pastors in love and unity joining together across theological spectrums, denominational spectrums, race spectrums to lead the city uh, into the, the plan that God has for it. It was a very special moment. There were lots of tears afterwards. I think every, even pastors that I didn't know were up like just hugging the life out of me because it was just such a love-filled moment. So that happened last night. And you hear me say these things. Prayer changes things. Worship changes things. The church united it's what the gates of hell can't prevail against. And so, so last night, there was victory won in our city on behalf of churches all over the city. And now we get to bask and walk in that. But it's not a one and done. You can't just say, that's it, done, the work is done, now we go back to normal. There is momentum coming from here. There's going to be other events like that. There's things that we have to look at as a church and say, how do we step into what was released last night to be agents of change in the city. So there are exciting things coming. I am excited for what is happening. Lots of pastors and leaders, JT and others, are asking like, so where are you at church? What's the church called? Oh, never heard of it. I'm like, that's okay. Um, but every one of them, uh, as I would talk to them about the church, would say, hey, can I pray for you in your church? And we pray these powerful blessings and these powerful like prophetic declarations over this church and what God has planned for this place in this community and out beyond. So I, I'm very excited. I'm very pumped up uh, about what we're doing and where we're going. So anyway, Acts. <laughs> we're in this series on the book of Acts. I'm not going to get to say this very much longer. Um, we're going to hit the last chapter. It's been quite a journey. We're going to finish the series next week. So for all those that were disappointed, I'm giving you one more week for all those that were ready to be done. <laughs> um, so we're going to wrap up, but, but why are we doing the book of Acts? What are we trying to rediscover? Yeah, our vision as sent people in the world, our identity as sent people, like the church in the West has lost sight of the identity we have as people that God has filled and has sent out to the world. So we are looking through the book of Acts, trying to recover what it means to be sent in to the world as his church. So, so let me just jump in. We're in Acts 28. We're starting at verse 11. Um, last week, they were shipwrecked to Malta. 
they had a fruitful time there. So they're leaving Malta and they're heading for Rome. So this is Acts 28, starting in verse 11. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. The NIV adds the names. The Bible doesn't have it in the original language, but this is who they're talking about when they talk about the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. Um, Little side note, these guys, Castor and Pollux, this is the humor in the passage. Castor and Pollux were known as the gods of smooth sailing, right? <laughs> so so I, think, I think the centurion in charge is like, okay, we're going to go this direction this time and we'll be blessed. But we as the readers and, and Luke's audience know that the, the only way this sailing is smooth is if God is in it. And we put in at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day the south wind came up and on the following day we reached Puteoli. So li little story for you here. If you're ever asked to read the Bible up front, don't hesitate when you get to a word that you don't know because just say whatever comes out of your mouth and everyone will think that's how it's pronounced as long as you say it confidently. And from then on they'll go, I... I researched these and I listened to some stuff to try and get it right, but, but it's just a little tip for you. Uh, there we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Why did Paul thank God? Why is this a moment of encouragement? This has been the longing of Paul's heart for almost three years, around three years. Let me jump back into Romans, the letter that he wrote to, to the, the Roman letter in the Bible. He writes it to the Roman church. It's a church that he didn't start. Somewhere from Pentecost till now, people have taken the gospel to Rome and the church has taken root. So Paul didn't start this, this church and he'd never been there. Um, so this is, this is a different scenario. When Paul's writing the letter of Romans, it's this big theological treatise because he wasn't able to be there to deliver that in person to them. So all of the other churches that he's with, he's shared his theology, he's told them how to live, and now he's encouraging them and how to live it out. This is a church uh, where they've not had that privilege, so he writes this whole treatise on how they're supposed to live. But this is how he starts it. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith has been reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. This is three years prior. Uh, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I would be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I'd planned many times to come to you, but I've been prevented to do so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had amongst the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Jews and, and Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, and that is why I am so eager also to come to you who are at Rome. So this is Paul writing to this church never been to, expressing this desire, my deep desire, my longing, my pleading before God is that I can get there and be with you and impart to you something and receive from you something so that we can be co-partners in the work of the gospel. And so now he's getting there. 
Oh, it goes on. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed. Righteousness is by by faith from first to last, just as is written in Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous will live by faith. Uh, This amazing declaration, Paul's heart to share the gospel and to get there. So that's where he's at. So he's just said, In Acts 15, you know, at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Understatement. This is the longing of his heart for at least three years, probably longer, and he's finally getting here. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him, this big scary prisoner that's been taken all the way to Caesar. (laughs) Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. What did he say to Rome? I want to come and preach the gospel first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. They're always first. When they'd assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and they wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. That line is important because Paul is about to go up against the Roman leader. Um, under, under the Roman leadership, Jews have been afforded a certain amount of privilege and protection as the Jewish people. So they're scared that Paul is going to go in before Caesar and like these people are coming against me, so I'm going to go against them. And all of a sudden, all of the rights that that the Jews have are going to be taken away. So he's trying to reassure them. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against one people. You guys are good. That's not my intent in being here. So I want to alleviate your fear. Verse 20, for this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, all very well, but we've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. Isn't it interesting that Jerusalem, the center of Israel, is against them, but Jews elsewhere, they're like, we're good. Um, We want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Cliffhanger. What a journey from the beginning of Acts to the end. What a strange conclusion in many ways. We want the end of the story. What happens with the rest of Paul's life? 
what happened when he stood before Caesar? Like, what's the result? Did they let him go? Did they kill him? Like, we don't know. It's like, what's the result? Give us more, Luke. Um, scholars are in debate about when Acts was written. Um, this, this is one of those pieces of evidence in favor of people saying, you know, Luke wrote this while Paul was still alive. So the end of the story's not there yet. Luke didn't know how Paul had died. Um, other scholars say Luke is so concerned. His concern is the gospel preached from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It reached Rome, so we don't need to know any more about Paul because it's not a story about Paul. It's a story about Jesus and his work in the world. So, so either way, it's a deliberate conclusion at this point in the story. Um, <laughs> This ending is a challenger. I'm going to come back to this at the end, but I just want to put these ending verses up again. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. I think Luke is being intentional here, and he's wanting us as the church to look at this example and evaluate ourselves. How are we doing in living that Paul kind of life? That are we the people that are preaching with boldness and without hindrance uh, as we walk into the things that God has done? So we're going to come back to that. But I want to look in this passage. There's four things um, about God's Word that we see really clearly here. Um, and then we're going to come back and hit this, this passage in full. So, so the first thing that you see I mean, Paul said in Romans, you know, the, the gospel of God is the salvation for everyone who believes. So the word is powerful. But in this passage, you know, God's word is fulfilled. And that's Luke's intent in this passage. You get this tiny little phrase that's, that's kind of like sandwiched in there. And it's like anticlimactic after we've just read this whole journey and the shipwrecks and everything. And it's like, and so we got to Rome. Like, you want this big climactic moment. Like, this is what they've been working towards. But what Luke wants us to see is what God said would happen, happens. Like, Paul's expressed his desire to be in Rome. He's had several moments along the way where he's told people, I'm going to go to Rome. He's had moments where people are prophesying, like, if you keep going, you're going to end up in Rome and you're going to lose your life. So don't go. And he's like, I'm going to go where God wants me to go. Um, so, number one, God's word is fulfilled. Um, and, and it's the message all the way through Scripture. We know this in our heads, but we have a real hard time with this in here, right? That God's word is fulfilled. The other way that I like to say it, God does what God says. So there are truths in Scripture that you know that are about what God wants to do in us and through us, what God wants to do in this world round about us, and, and we're looking at the mess that we see around us. We're looking at the mess in our own lives, the divisions, uh, the, the issues that we've got between people, the sin issues that we're struggling with, identity confusion, uh, anxieties, and we're looking at it going, I don't believe that God does what he says because I'm not seeing the evidence in my own life. Remember what's happened in the story, shipwrecked on Malta, like blown about in, in the wind, throwing all their cargo overboard, almost throwing people overboard. Um, but what's the end result? They get to Rome. And so we came to Rome. God will do what he said he will do. And what's he said he'll do through the church? He'll use us to reach the world. He says the harvest is plentiful. We need laborers to send laborers out into the harvest. So that means if we go, we will see harvest. Like God does what he says. God says that there's a peace that transcends understanding that comes if you cast all your prayers and petitions and anxieties on him. He'll give you the peace that transcends all understanding. What God says, he does. 
God says that there's not a single person that he's called that doesn't have a part to play in the kingdom. You're all parts of the body, and each part has a piece to play. Um, And so what God says, he does. He wants to use you. He wants to free you. God speaks. I don't know if God speaks. I don't hear him. I'm not sure. I've never seen anything or heard anything. I just read my Bible, and sometimes, like, there's something in there that stands out. God speaks. And he says that if we listen, we can hear him. He says, my sheep know my voice in John. So if he says he speaks and he says we can listen, God does what he says. God's word is always fulfilled. I think we always have to come back to this. It's so easy to forget it. Number two, you see about the word in this passage, God's world prevails. Paul's there. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound in chains. Paul is chained up. This is not the first time. He's been chained up. He's been beat up. He's been cut up. He's been, I don't know what else. Um, but, But Paul's had it hard. He's chained up. But he's getting these opportunities to minister to Jewish leaders, to Gentile people. He's about to stand before Caesar. God's word prevails. Nothing can chain the gospel of God. A chain can't chain the gospel A mask can't stop the gospel. Isolation can't stop the gospel. Vaccines can't stop the gospel. The gospel always prevails. The gospel cannot be chained. Uh, And I think we, we do this thing again where we lift our eyes up onto the world and we see all of these issues that are hard to deal with and we're like, oh, it's impinging on my freedom. (laughs) And then we go, oh, it's, it's damaging the church. The church isn't sharing the gospel. (laughs) If you're out there boldly sharing the gospel and and the things you're seeing round about are stopping you, then we can say there's an issue. But a lot of us are not sharing the gospel and then we're complaining that things out there are muzzling us so that we can't share the gospel. The gospel can't be chained. The gospel cannot be muzzled. It will always prevail. God's world prevails over principalities and powers. Not just the worldly systems, it prevails over principalities and powers. That's why I started with prayer saying, like when we're praying, we're changing things in the heavenly arena. When we're worshiping, we are in the middle of a battle and we're winning. God's word will always prevail. One of the things that's interesting, we don't think about this very often, when you read the word of God out loud, it's the only time that you can be guaranteed that the truth is being spoken, right? We've just spent all these months reading out loud the entirety of the book of Acts over our church and over our neighborhood. God's word happens and God's word prevails. Something changes when we take those words and we speak them over our community. It's why when we start with prayer, I don't just read a scripture at the beginning of our prayer time so that we're like, let's get centered on a nice little feel-good scripture. It's like these are words that change the atmosphere because God's word is going forth and God's word always prevails. We've forgotten in the church the power of his word to prevail over the worldly systems and over the supernatural entities that are out there coming against our church, coming against our city. And you get to be his mouthpiece in the middle of that. You get to take his word and go into dark situations that people don't even need to listen. You can just go into your empty house where there's challenging situations and just start reading scripture aloud and declaring it over your home and it will change your home. Uh, It's why I 
I sit, like, come up here to preach and I read the scripture before I start. I think I told you this before. I had one mentor that said, if you ever preach and read the scripture in its entirety, because then if everything else you say is a load of nonsense, you know they heard the truth. <laughs> and so I do it because I do speak a lot of nonsense sometimes. Uh, the gospel can't be chained. It doesn't matter what the world throws at us. Scripture says the gates of hell cannot prevail against Christ and his church, so it will win. Um, related to that, number three that you see in this passage, his word confronts. I love these couple of moments as he's going on. It says he witnesses to the Jewish leaders from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, tries to persuade them about Jesus, right? This is... Uh, I'm, gonna try and I'm I'm being I'm saying this to myself as well okay we're like I shared the gospel with my friend and they didn't receive it well what did that look like well we're in the middle of a conversation I was like Jesus is real yeah that was a really good movie right this is Paul this gifted anointed and appointed person witnessing from morning till evening explaining through all of the law and all of the prophets, teaching about the kingdom of God, it requires a little bit more energy than one sentence thrown into the middle of a conversation, right? Here's the thing, God is super gracious and his word is powerful. He does what he says, his word prevails. And so one little sentence thrown into the conversation can transform someone's life. But we're called to more than that as the church. We're called to be people like this who can explain the kingdom of God, who can sit with people from morning till evening, helping them understand, like, hey, you're dealing with this debilitating anxiety. Let me sit with you from morning till evening and walk through these truths of Scripture, these pieces about your identity. Let me help you understand these lies that you're holding on to. Instead, we're like, I'll pray for you. And then we don't, right? Sometimes we do, but we forget about it and we don't. Um, God's word is confrontational. So Paul is here confronting the beliefs of the Jewish leaders. He's confronting the lies that they're bought into. We know it's already confronting the powers and principalities that are existing in the world. Like God's word confronts. As it's spoken, you've heard me say this before, there's, there's beliefs and values and things that you hold in here, and then there's the word of God. And as soon as you speak the word of God, these two things start coming into attention, and we feel the discomfort inside. Yeah, I'm not living the way I'm supposed to. Oh, yeah, I do need to forgive that person. Oh, yeah, like I do need to confess this sin issue that I'm dealing with. And we feel that moment of tension, that moment of confrontation. We have two options in that moment. One of them is you harden your heart to God and his voice by ignoring it and not acting on it. So if you say, I feel convicted, I'm going to do something different, and then you walk out and you do nothing, your heart is hardened And it makes it harder for you to hear and respond to the voice of the Lord the next time. But if when it happens, you say, even I'm just going to do what, I'm just going to stop and I'm going to pray right now to acknowledge it. And I'm going to try and do something this week. You are softening your heart and making your soul more responsive to the voice of God moving in your life in the future. And Paul, as he's confronting at this point, what's the message that he brings? He's looking at these people and he's quoting from Isaiah and he's saying, you're a... You hardly hear with your ears. You've closed your eyes. Your heart has become calloused. And that's the way we're living in the Western world in the church. We have closed our hearts to the issues that God cares about. Uh, We've seen enough homeless people sitting at the street corner begging. 
that we've hardened our heart towards it, and to some degree we have to do that, because if we gave all the money we had to every person that had a sad face, we'd be destitute, and then we'd be there next to them begging too. Um, but, but we've hardened our hearts to those issues. We've got all of these humanitarian organizations that, that put their commercials on TV, and it's the poor little African kid with the pot belly because they're starving and stick arms. And, uh, and, and it's like you see it and, and you just kind of switch it off because we're so used to seeing it. We, we close our heart off to it. This is the accusation that God is giving to his people. This is the Jewish people. You've closed your eyes. You've closed your ears. You've hardened your heart against me. Um, and so the question becomes, as God's word is confronting, are you hearing or is your heart hardened? Like when you feel that moment of conviction, are you responding to it or are you putting it off for another day? As we talk about being sent, do you go out going, God, how can I be more effective at preaching the gospel this week? Or do you walk out the door and go, what's for lunch? That's okay too. We're supposed to be hungry and we're supposed to eat food. God's word is confrontational. We are going to be called to receive it in a confrontational way as it challenges the brokenness in our life. But we're also called to be confrontational in the world. I'm going to say a line that I've said a lot here. If you are a naturally confrontational person, you need to close your mouth more. You need to listen. And most of the time what you're saying is your own opinion and your own desire and your flesh bursting out of your mouth and hurting the people in front of you. So if you're a naturally confrontational person, you need to learn to close your mouth and seek God's will and what to say. Think the majority of people that are in this room are in the opposite vein. We're not naturally confrontational people. We'd rather keep the peace. We fear rejection. We fear the result. Those are the people that need to open their mouths. When you have that moment when you're sitting with a friend and you feel that little stirring inside, I should share something about Jesus say something. And getting a word out of your mouth is the hardest. So just go, Jesus! <laughs> and they'll be like, what? They're like, sorry, I just had to say something. And I knew if I didn't say something, I wouldn't speak. But I just have to tell you about Jesus. If, if that's too confrontational, pineapples! What? I was being challenged in this and I need to speak up because I'm holding back what God wants to say. God's word is confrontational in us and will be confrontational in the world. But again, that's the spiritual realm. God's word is confrontational this direction in the heavenly arena. Every time we speak it, every time we act on it, we're taking ground from the enemy. We have this kind of mentality in the church that like, you know, the church is on the defensive. Like if I do something for God, I'm gonna have a target on my back, the enemy's gonna come after me like God doesn't protect his people. It's kind of the mentality we have. We say to people, you know, if you go into ministry, there's going to be a target on your back. It doesn't have to be. What if the entire church took the target off my back in prayer every single day? What if the entire church formed a wall of shields around me and my family so they didn't have to deal with that every day? Like, it's confrontational. We have victory and authority over the powers of darkness. We don't have to let it defeat us. Number four, God's word emboldens. I just pull this word right out of here. You know, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, taught by the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 
Like God's word emboldens us. And some of us are too scared to go do the thing that God's calling us to do because we're not spending enough time in his word and in his presence to be emboldened to do the things that he's called us to do. Um, I'll do my little quick couple of minute devo and go into the world and feel like I'm armed. We're bombarded 24-7 with lies. We got to find time to saturate ourselves in the truth, to soak it up. You need time in every 24-hour period where you absorb his truth so that you can be strengthened to stand against the attacks out there. Um, we need to saturate ourselves in the truth so that we have the words to say when we're out there. So it's not like, hey, I want to tell you about this Jesus guy. There was this thing I read once. Uh, he comforts or something. Uh, and again, as we're speaking God's word in whatever form it works, but what we want to be able to say is, you know, you're dealing with anxiety. I was reading this passage this morning. And, and God helps his people in this way. Like, I think God wants to help you in this way. Let me tell you about what that looks like. Um, we need to be saturated in it. Look at th these words again. You know, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught with the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the summary statement of the posture of Paul's whole life that we've looked at all the way through the book of Acts. Like he is constantly given of himself to others. He has constantly supplied for his own needs with his own hands. He has gone from place to place teaching the kingdom of God, preaching about Jesus. He's done it boldly. And though obstacles have been put in his way, God has blown through them to get him where he said he would be, which is standing before Caesar in Rome. We don't know what happens from here. One there's lots of like theories and church like tradition around what happens to Paul. Eusebius was a historian who says, you know, Paul goes in front of Caesar. He shares what he shares. Caesar acquits him of the charges. And Paul goes on his fourth missionary journey. And he travels back around a lot of the places that we've been looking at and reading. And he eventually is brought back to Rome. He's imprisoned in Rome again and killed under Nero. So, when I look at this, I'm like, this is just the summary of the posture of Paul. If this was the end of Paul's life, let's say at the end of this, he just dies. What's the end of his life? Like, what does this look like? Paul is stuck in a place imprisoned, and all these people are visiting him because they have seen something in Paul. They know something about what he's walking in. They've seen the confidence, the authority, the healings, and they're seeking him out. Uh, so all these people are coming. He welcomes them. What does he do? He sits down with every person and proclaims the kingdom of God. He teaches them about Jesus. He does it boldly. So here's the question as you look at your life, as we hit this last chapter of Acts. How are you doing? I want you to think about yourself for a minute. Let me start with the, the older half of the congregation. Does this look like you? Are people coming from all over to seek you out to hear what you have to say? Are they coming to your house looking for your authority, looking for your wisdom to experience your love? And if the answer is no, you've been living your faith incorrectly. We've done a lot in the world where we've hurt people so that now, later on in our life, people are looking at us going, I don't want to hear from you. 
I don't want a relationship with you, Mom. I don't want a relationship with you, Dad. Uncle, I don't want you in my life. I don't want to hear what you got to say. I'm paving my own path. If that's the situation, the message of Scripture is we've got to humbly repent, come back to God and say, God, help me be an agent of reconciliation and restore this. For a lot of people, if that's the situation, if you're looking at a string of broken relationships in your life, the best thing you can do for our church and for the kingdom of God is go home today and look up a Christian counselor and spend the next year meeting with someone who can dig into the brokenness of your life and help you overcome the broken patterns that are causing relational deficits and damage in the world. Because that will help you be more in touch with who you are. It will help you walk out the things that God has called you to do. And, and it will change the relationships that you have with the people around about you. It is not too late. There are some of you in here who you are the person who people are coming to you and they're seeking out your wisdom. They're looking at your relationship and going, we want this. Do you know what I want to say? Is thank you. Thank you for a life well lived. Thank you for giving yourself to him uh, and living in such a way that people are coming, seeking the wisdom of Jesus through your life. If you're in the younger half of our congregation, this is the question for us. Are you setting yourself up to be this kind of person? You can wait till you're 70 years old to deal with the issues in your life or you can deal with them now. There's brokenness that we're walking in. There's lies that we've bought into. There's relational issues that, that are around us. There's sin issues that we're fighting with. And we say, I went to the worship thing. I prayed. Someone, like, I asked for healing and it didn't work. Or I'm, I'm kind of wrestling with it. Best thing you can do for yourself and for the kingdom of God is go see a counselor. <laughs> and have them help you work through these issues so that you're not uh, 50 years down the line with a string of people that won't talk to you going, what did I do with my life? Spiritual direction is basically like prayer counseling. So there's tools like that out there to help us work on this. But this is it, like this is who we're called to be. We're called to live in such a way that we're, we're putting him first. We're taking his word to the people around about us. We're living in generosity. We're using our hands to supply our needs and the needs of the church um, and living in such a way that we're earning the right to be heard by the people around about us so that people will come to us and say, you have answers to questions I have. I sat with JT for dinner the last two nights and as he spoke, I was just like, I have so many questions. I just want to sit with him for the next year and get the answers. He has an authority that I don't have, and I want to learn how to do that. He handles the word in a way that I've never seen someone handle it. I want that. He's out there doing confrontational work in the world that, that breaks all of the paradigms of all the things I'm seeing. I'm, I want that. He's going to be a guy that is, at the end of his life, he's going to be sitting in his room with people knocking down his door. Eugene Peterson, familiar with the name? Uh, this amazing scholar, pastor, writer that spent the last chunk of his life hiding in a log cabin in the woods, just pursuing Jesus. And he just constantly has people finding him, knocking on his door, getting in touch with him. Hey, can I come and sit with you? And he just opens his door and they come in and he ministers to them and he writes to them and whoever. That's the kind of person that we're called to be. So you've got a decision to make. Are you going to live in the posture that you're living? Or are you going to position yourself from here to the end 
to be the kind of person that's walking with Paul. Let me go back to the beginning. God does what he says. If you soften your heart and humble yourself, he will do these things in your life. It is not too late. God's word prevails. So it doesn't matter what you're facing, surrendered to him, it will overcome the issues that are in front of you. God's word confronts. It's going to do this in you if you'll be open to letting it. And he's going to do it in the relationships you have, and he's going to do it out there in the world. If you'll let him. And lastly, his word emboldens. You're going to open yourself up. Are you going to be bold, not just to preach the gospel, but to dig into the things in your life that need to be dug into so that you can become the person God needs you to be, so that you can become the person that this church needs you to be? Last thing I'll say, I know I'm going long today. Um, Aaron was sharing our, our pre-service prayer time. Uh, a few weeks ago, he, he had this this moment where he's like, I just kind of was picturing this, like God, like the sunlight shining down on us, just his love for us, when this moment where we're just rejoicing in God's love for the church. But he's like, today and this week, I've just been thinking of God as this, like, this ocean of potential. And what would it look like if every person in our church was to step in to their full potential? Are you walking in your full potential as a follower of Jesus? The answer is no. None of us are there yet. Um, but there's more. So God has more for you. He wants to do more in and through you. And he will bring it about in the name of Jesus and all for his glory. So let me pray as the band comes up and we'll sing one last song. God, I thank you once again for this church. Thank you for uh, their commitment to you. Thank you for lives that love you. Um, and thank you, because I know that the hearts of the people in the room, we're all trying, uh, and we need your help. But God, we look at Scripture, and we see what it says, we see what it calls us to, um, and, and what we're asking for is, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and change the atmosphere. That's what's going to change us. So Spirit, we need you reactivating our heart for Jesus we need you reactivating our gifts and sending us out into the world. And we need that boldness uh, that you promised to give us. Um, so God, help us to follow in the footsteps of, of Paul. Help us to be a church that lives the act kind of life, walking our identity as sent ones and seeing all the amazing things that you have for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.